Welcome to the reading of the Quad City Times for Wednesday, February the 14th, 2024, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of people with print disabilities. Your readers today are Patty Daniels and myself, Scott Splavik. Now here's Patty with our first story. Thank you, Scott. Family at risk of homelessness. Sewage overflows at mobile home. Miklas out of options. Written for us by Tom Lowy of the um, Quad City Times. Jennifer Miklas money and options ran out Monday night. The 37-year-old mother of three and her boyfriend, Matt uh, Jensen can't move back into their $1,080 a month manufactured home in Davenport Silver Creek Mobile Home Park because the city condemned it Monday morning. Mikla Jensen and her children have been living in hotels since January 14th. That's when the toilets, bathtub, and every sink in the manufactured home overflowed with raw sewage. They are out of money. The family was able to stay in a local hotel Monday night because they earned a gift card from the hotel for their frequent stays. Mikla claimed the owners of the mobile home park, uh, a Denver, Colorado-based corporation called Yes Communities, Yes Communities, has done nothing to help them. It is a claim echoed by a number of people who live in mobile home parks throughout the Quad Cities owned by Yes. To make matters worse, Mikla said she was told the management of Silver Creek was changing the locks on the home, which she has leased until April. She and her family can only gain access to their own home during the day until 6 p.m. after asking management to let them in. Mikla was informed. Uh, Mikla was informed Silver Creek's management decided to not renew her lease at the end of January. She is certain the lack, the lockout and the decision not to renew their lease was driven by her decision to reach out to the city. The management at Silver Creek declined to comment on Mikla's situation. Yes, Communities Corporate Communications Office did not respond to a request for an interview about this story. Sorry. I'm sorry. I lost my place. Oh no. Well, I can't find it. Um, goodness. Oh, wrong page. Why was the property condemned? Before the sinks, toilets, and tub overflowed in Meekless' home on January 14th, she called Silver Creek's management. I saw the water rising in the toilets and I was worried, Meekless explained. I called management immediately. They said they would send a plumber. No plumber ever came. Eventually, a maintenance worker came, claimed Meekless' pipes were frozen, and put a space heater under the manufactured home. The man said we had frozen pipes and that was our problem. She said, and he said the heater was a fire hazard and the house caught fire. If the house caught fire, we were responsible for that, too. Within days, sewage was pouring up through every drain in the house. Uh, 
The maintenance person came, took one look at the situation, and said, This is above my pay grade, and left, Miklas said. I was using a bucket to try and keep the sewage from leaking onto the floor. Then management sent a cleanup crew. They came and unhooked the sewage pipe from our house. Then they took every towel I owned, and they mopped up the sewage. They put the towels in plastic bags and left. Mikkel called the Scott County Health Department, which inspected the home and found a large amount of local of fecal matter in the home. The health inspectors promised to help. No help came. Mikla, Jensen, and the children had to move to a hotel. Mikla then reached out to Davenport's Office of Development and Neighborhood Services. They sent an inspector who wrote in a report dated January 19th that Certain conditions were found which rendered the dwelling substandard. The report directed Silver Creek to clean and sanitize all areas of the house, including the vents and the dwelling's underbelly. The city recommended Mikla and her family stay out of the home while Silver Creek was given 30 days to respond to the order. Silver Creek claimed in emails to Mikla that it tried to set up times with a cleaning company, but that cleaning company never completed the cleaning. In response, the city condemned Mikla's home. I asked the city people where we should go or what we should do, Mikla said. They basically said they can't make Silver Creek pay for our housing, and they showed up and they showed they can't make them clean it up. So we are the ones punished because raw sewage flowed back up into our home. We have nowhere to go. Development Neighborhood Services Director Richard Oswald said, according to the city records, only one unit at Silver Creek is currently tagged to vacate. We have not received any other requests about sewer issues. He added that not all units are considered rentals, as some residents own their units and just lease the land Mikla rents. <clears throat> John Holmgren lives in High Cliff Estates, a mobile home park in Milan, also owned by Yes Communities. He became a member of the State Board of the Manufactured Homeowners Association of Illinois after actively campaigning for safety improvements in High Cliff. She, he was not surprised by Mikla's story. In fact, he had reached out to the Quad City Times weeks before her, asking to talk about, yes, community, communities' policies. Manufactured home are typically the kind of a place that is affordable for people who might have rent struggles, Hongan said. We are like a lot of mobile home parks. We have the elderly and disabled people living here. Young families starting out, people like my wife and I, people who suffer setbacks and have to start over. Among issues he has seen is Internet access. Holmgren has tried to help residents who don't have computers or access to the Internet. Guess what? Yes, we'll take rent through online portals, he said. So people without the necessary technology are in a real bind. The entire aim, it seems, is to drive off anyone who has any issue. It's not a good situation. In February 2019, a, a coalition of advocacy groups, including the Private Equity Stakeholder Project, 
MH Action and Americans for Financial Reform released the report, Private Equity Giants Converge on Manufactured Homes. When community owners raise the lot rent, residents are trapped, choosing between paying rent and abandoning their home, the report said. The structure makes manufactured house communities a very stable source of revenue for investors, including during economic downturns, and makes residents vulnerable to exploitation. Real estate investment group seized on the vulnerability and and built a highly profitable business. Uh, excuse me, highly profitable business model with devastating effects on low-income renters and families. The report singled out Yes Communities as one of the largest owners of manufactured home communities in the U.S. with other over. T- 200 mobile home communities in 18 states. Yes, is um, partially owned by the $440 billion sovereign wealth fund for the government of Singapore, the $56 billion Pennsylvania Public School Employees Retirement System, and San Francisco-based Stockbridge Capital, which manages $13 billion in assets. According to a 2018 memo from uh, PSERS, YES owns more than a dozen mobile home communities in Iowa, or about 9% of its total portfolio. In October 2017, YES's average home site rental was $43. $415 per month, an increase of 4% from the year before, according to the memo. That's about double the rate of inflation over that time. The memo noted that manufactured home community cash flows have been shown to be highly resilient, even during economic downturns. Yes, communities' website shows eight communities it owns in the Quad City area, four in Iowa and four in Illinois. The Quad City Times reported in 2020 that residents of Silver Creek and a number of other local YES properties spoke out against dealing uh, declining conditions and management's unwillingness to maintain the infrastructure at the mobile home parks. What is life like with no options? Mikla fears her family is about to find out. She went to Humility Homes last week. She said her family didn't qualify for help because she has a lease. She spent Tuesday morning at the Salvation Army and the Red Cross. The Salvation Army's emergency shelter is full, and the Red Cross can't help us because we weren't displaced by fire. Mikla said. Mikla said that the city has offered no help. She had to seek resources on her own. I have a hard time thinking the owners of the Yes Communities would approve of their families, their, their families being in this condition, she said. So it astounds me that they would treat the residents and their families this way. It's beyond stressful for us and completely unconscionable. Thank you, Patty. 
Our next article is entitled, She Was a Helping Person. Leslie Pricer was killed Saturday night in LeClaire, and Pricer is spelled P-R-E-I-S-S-E-R. It's written by Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Leslie Pricer loved live music, once wanted to be a librarian, and was an excellent cook, said her father, Joel Pricer. But most of all, the 44-year-old from Bettendorf adored her two daughters, ages 23 and 15. Leslie, whose driver's license still lists her married name, Powell, was killed Saturday night when police say an intoxicated driver struck her in the parking lot of Riverview Roadhouse, a LeClaire Bar and Grill. Authorities have accused Molly A. Vance, age 36, of LeClaire, of being the driver, and have charged Vance with homicide by vehicle and operating while under the influence, first offense. Leslie had just finished an eight-hour shift at the J-Bar in Davenport, where she worked as a head waiter, Joel said. She stopped by the Riverview Roadhouse to help a friend out on a busy night to clean and close the bar and take her home. She was helping... She was a helping person, Joel said. She would give you the shirt off her back. She was always there for me. She loved her family. Leslie raised her daughters as a single parent, he said, and they were everything to her. She also loved music, Joel said. She attended shows frequently at the Rust Belt in East Moline and more recently at the renovated Capitol Theater in Davenport. Her friend purchased tickets for them to attend the three-day Chicago Music Festival Riot Fest in September, Joel said. I would say that she was kind of a modern hippie, Joel said with a laugh. She always felt like she missed out on on the good music. She knew a lot about music history and history in general. Leslie attended the University of Northern Iowa after high school and wanted to be a librarian. She was the type of person you never had to encourage to study, Joel said. Leslie was about a semester from getting her degree when she learned she was pregnant and left school. She worked for about a decade at the Rock Island Arsenal, but grew tired of what she told her father was a boys' club atmosphere in her unit. She quit and decided to bartend. She liked to work banquets and handled her money smartly, he said. She was the go-to cook for Thanksgiving meals and was a down-to-earth person who, as Joel said, didn't like to get involved with drama or crap, but was someone you could talk to. She could hold a conversation with anyone. She sat and talked with them for hours. Back to you, Patty. Thanks, Steve. Patsy Klein played with Loretta Lynn in Davenport. The two played at the Masonic Temple, April 1st, 1962. Written for us by Gannon uh, Hanwalt. Rock and roll, plane crashes, tragedy. It turns out, Timeless Ticket is starting off with a little bit of continuity. First, of course, there are Buddy Holly, big rapper, and Richie Valley, who died in a plane crash in Clear Lake just a week after visiting Davenport in 1959. Then, that crash gave a young... Robbie, excuse me, Bobby V, a chance to start for a night in Holly's place. In 1961, he came to Davenport and played just blocks away from where Holly Company performed in 59. 
Now to 1962, here we are talking about musicians and plane crashes once again. This time, we're pivoting from rock and roll to classic country. Patsy Cline, the iconic country rocker, played Davenport's Masonic Temple on April 1, 1962 for a show with Loretta Lynn and bluegrass legends Flatten Scruggs. Less than a year later, in March 1963, Klein died in a plane crash just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. It's yet another case of a rising star who died young. In Klein's case, she was just 30 years old and in the prime of her music career, not long after playing a show in the Quad Cities. When Klein visited the Quad Cities in 1962, she was already in the process of recovering from a different kind of accident. Klein was in a car accident in the summer of 1961 and faced life-threatening injuries. She swore to keep on, and that's exactly what happened in 1962. Klein released some of the biggest hits of her career in the wake of the car accident, climbing charts with Crazy, a Willie Nelson-written song that became one of Klein's most timeless tracks. She played at Carnegie Hall in New York with singers like Jim Reeves and Minnie Pearl. Her single, She's Got You, was heading towards number one, as the Daily Times put it, when Klein came to Davenport. Months after her visit, she had two more hits with When I Get Through With You and So Wrong. Her performance in Davenport landed on a Sunday, April 1st. It had two shows, one at 3 p.m. and another at 8 p.m., with a tour presented by the Grand Old Opry. Tickets started at $1.50 for seats and $1 for general admission. Kids got in for just 50 cents. At the time of her death in the spring of 63, Klein was still one of the biggest stars in country music. As local newspapers advertised for the Klein show, they also pushed Jimmy Dean's appearance at the RKO Orpheum Theater the week after on April 10th. That would be seven years before his Sausage Company. One of Dean's signature contacts, country star Conway Twitty. Ten years later, Twitty teamed up with Loretta Lynn, the other leading act on the bill with Patsy Cline, to write five consecutive number one hits from 71 to 75. Lynn's hit-making con- continued, including with her album I Remember Patsy, a tribute to the late Cline. Lynn was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2013 and has stayed active as a performer, collaborating with everyone from Jack White to Sheryl Crow on this side of the millennium. Flatt and Scruggs, the bluegrass duo of Lester Fatt and Earl Scruggs, also made the bill for that April 1 show at the Masonic Temple. You may know their two-time Grammy-winning song, Foggy Mountain Breakdown, used in the iconic car chase in the 1967 film Bonnie and Clyde. The front page story in the Rock Island Argus on the day after the Patsy Cline show is about the rising problem with automobile deaths. The Associated Press reported that there were 64 car-related deaths that weekend, mostly teens or collegians. For reference, in 2022, there were an average 117 fatal accidents every day. Also making the news 
Locally, on April 1st, 1962, flood. The Interstate 29 bridge in Sioux City gave way over gave way over the weekend due to rising floodwaters, and the Daily Times reported that the Mississippi had risen seven feet since March 14th. What was going on and around the world at that time in 1962? The Incredible Hulk had made his debut in Marvel Comics one month prior, with Spider-Man appearing in June. The first, the world's first commercial satellite went into orbit in July, courtesy of AT&T, and Marilyn Monroe died in August. As an advertisement for the Masonic Temple show featuring Patsy Cline, Flat and Scruggs, and Loretta Lynn, the ad ran in the Daily Times on March 28, 1962. Celebrities born that year include M.C. Hammer, Paula Abdul, Tom Cruise, Steve Carroll, Evander Holyfield, Demi Moore, and Garth Brooks. This, this story is part of a series called Timeless Tickets. Thanks. Now from page A3, the local page, Rock Island, $1 million to replace two dozen vehicles. Deterioration, age of vehicles led to replacements by Grace Kinnicutt of the Quad City Times. Rock Island plans to replace more than two dozen aging vehicles for a total of around $1 million. A number of new sedans, trucks, and passenger vans are to be purchased to replace vehicles that are nearly 20 years old. Public Works Director Mike Bartles told the Dispatch Argus slash Quad City Times it would cost more to fix the current vehicles than they are worth. We have been needing to replace vehicles for some time, Bartles said. 16 2024 Chevrolet Malibu sedans are being purchased for $406,240. The sedans will replace 2008 Honda hybrids. Bartles said most of the batteries in the Hondas are failing and that it costs more to fix and replace compared to purchasing new. The sedans, Bartles said, will be used for police, fire, IT, and community and economic development personnel. Eight 2024 Ford F-150 XL 4x4 pickup trucks are being purchased for $304,592. The new trucks will replace trucks from 2001. Seven pickups will be replaced that are currently in use by Public Works, and one Honda assigned to the fire department will be replaced. The trucks have been through lots of winters and are rusting and falling apart, Bartles said. Three 2024 F-350 XL 4x4 chassis cabs are being purchased for $148,734 and two passenger vans that can fit 15 people for the Martin Luther King Center are being purchased for $109,126. Bartle said money from the Fleet Services Fund will be used for the purchases. The city has been working on replacing aging vehicles, Bartles said. So far, the city purchased eight new snow plows to replace old ones. American Rescue Plan Act funds covered the cost of the new plows. The fire department also received one of two new engines with another engine planned to be replaced this year. And no swimming in Bentendorf. 
outdoor pool opening delayed until 2025. Also written by, well, no, this is written by Sarah Watson, sorry. Bettendorf residents will go without an outdoor pool for another summer. The construction timeline of the $21 million new water park and outdoor ice rink, dubbed The Landing, is changing, city and YMCA officials announced Monday night. The city... The city's permanent outdoor ice rink is set to open in November, which is earlier than scheduled. The city-owned YMCA-operated water park will be delayed opening until 2025. The initial goal was to open one part of the water park, the 12,500-square-foot activity pool, in May of 2024. Now, with supply chain issues and state permitting delays, the construction is expected to wrap up in July 2024, near the end of the summer season, the city said in a press release. We will need 35 lifeguards to staff it, and trying to find this many lifeguards at the end of the season would be difficult, said Brad Martell, CEO of the YMCA of the Iowa-Mississippi Valley. In the release, we all feel it would be better to wait until 2025 when everything is completed. General Constructors Incorporated, the Bettendorf-based general contractor, will continue construction through 2024 instead of pausing for the summer season and complete the three-story, three-slide tower, a 430-foot lazy river, and a 3,700-square-foot splash pad by May 2025, according to the city. Activating a pool doesn't happen overnight, said Decker Plom, Bettendorf City Administrator, in the news release. Even if construction is finished in mid-July, the state needs the t- to test the pool, which could take days or even weeks. While we understand this means there will be another season without a community pool in Bettendorf, we are very excited that the ice rink will be completed earlier than expected. We're very pleased with RDG's design, CGI's progress, and rest assured, the city is planning a wonderful grand opening for this brand new ice amenity, and together with the Y, we'll hold another one for our brand new water amenity only six months later. United Way QC seeks reading mentors. 300 volunteer reading mentors are needed. Written for us by Gretchen Teske. United Way Quad Cities is seeking 300 volunteer reading mentors to help more students get back on track in school through Read United. Since its start in 2022, the United Way program has been a community-wide effort to address a decline in youth reading proficiency. All students deserve success in school, but the reality is only 55% of Quad Cities third graders are reading at grade level, said Marcy Zog, United Way's Vice President of Community Impact. Read United offers a unique opportunity for community members to be a hero for struggling readers, instilling a lifelong love of reading. Those interested in uh, becoming a reading volunteer with Read United can sign up for 30-minute weekly reading sessions with a student at www.readunitedqc.org. Interested volunteers can choose from its 16 participating schools in Scott and Rock Island counties and volunteer for a time during school hours that lines up with their schedule through the remainder of the school year. 
New volunteers are encouraged to sign up by March 1. Early test scores of participating students have shown promise as well. After the spring 2023 session of Read United, 62% of students who participated in the program improved their reading proficiency levels. The program focuses on students in third grade and younger. Children are recommended by the teacher. Anyone can volunteer as long as they are at least 18, pass a background check, and complete a 30-minute training held virtually. Registration can be completed online at www.unitedway.org forward slash volunteer to read, where volunteers can find options for the day, time, and location that works best with their schedule. You're listening to the Quad City Times on IRIS, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind. And now we'll turn to the obituaries. First is Lynn Alfred Clausen. A private family service for Lynn Alfred Clausen, age 71, of Donahue, will be held on Friday, February the 16th, 2024, at Chambers Funeral Home, Eldridge. Lynn passed away on Sunday, February the 11th, 2024, at Genesis Medical Center in Davenport. Memorials may be made to the Donahue Fire Department. There will be an open house at the famous Clausen Garage on Friday, February the 16th, 2024, starting at 1 p.m. for family and friends. And in Lynn's true fashion, go Hawks. Online condolences may be shared with family at www.mcginnis-chambers.com. And our other obituary today is Dwayne Gissel. Uh, age 69, of Madison, Wisconsin, who died Friday, February the 2nd, 2024, at his home, surrounded by his family after a long illness. A celebration of life will be held at 11 a.m. on February the 17th, 2024, at First Presbyterian Church in Wanakee, Wisconsin. Memorials can be sent to a, a grace Hospice, Madison, Wisconsin, Master Gardener Program, Care of Scott County Extension Director, 875 Tanglewood Lane, Bettendorf, Iowa, 52722. And now here are the pendings. Judith Judy Goldsberry, age 77, of East Moline, passed away Saturday, February the 11th, 2024. Arrangements are pending at Sullivan Ellis Mortuary Limited in East Moline. Verna Flagel, age 89, of Zwingle, Iowa, passed away Saturday, February the 10th, 2024, at Mercy One Medical Center, Dubuque, Iowa. Arrangements are pending at Carson Celebration of Life Center in Maquoketa. Lynn Alfred Clausen, age 71, of Donahue, Iowa, passed away Sunday, February the 11th, 2024, at Genesis Medical Center, East Campus, in Davenport. Arrangements are pending at McGinnis Chambers Funeral Home in Bettendorf. Sally Maureen McCauley, age 43, of Moline, Illinois, passed away Saturday, February the 10th, 2024, at home. Cremation will be directed by Mississippi Valley Cremation and Direct Burial in Moline. Jeffrey Taylor, age 60, of Waterloo, Iowa, formerly of Wyoming, Iowa, passed away Saturday, February the 10th, 2024, at Mercy Medical Center, Cedar Falls, Iowa. 
Arrangements are pending at Carson Celebration of Life Center in Makokota. Edward Faulkner, age 58, of Makokota, Iowa, passed away Monday, February 12, 2024, at the Jackson County Regional Health Center in Makokota. Arrangements are pending at Carson's Celebration of Life Center in Makokota. Betty J. Elzey, age 68, of Rock Island, Illinois, passed away Monday, February the 12th at Generations at Rock Island. Cremation will be directed by Cremation Society of the Quad Cities. James Jimmy Schneppel, age 65, formerly of Silvis, Illinois, passed away Sunday, February the 11th in Iowa City, Iowa. Arrangements are pending at Esterdahl Mortuary and Crematory Limited in Moline. Danny E. Stevens, age 69, of Prophetstown, Illinois, passed away Monday, February the 12th in Clinton, Iowa. Services are pending with Gibson Bodie Funeral Home in Erie, Illinois. Donna J. Udaley, age 77, of Bettendorf, Iowa, formerly of LeClaire, Iowa, passed away Monday, February the 12th, at Clarissa C. Cook Hospice House in Bettendorf. Arrangements are pending at McGinnis Chambers Funeral Home in Bettendorf. Rosalind H. Tidha, Tidya, Tidya, age uh, T-I-E-D-J-E. Age 91, of Silvis, Illinois, passed away February the 13th, 2024, at Illini Restorative Care, Silvis. Cremation arrangements will be directed by Mississippi Valley Cremation and Direct Burial in Moline. Judy D. Morgan Stoltenberg, age 71, of Walcott, Iowa, passed away Monday, February the 12th, 2024, at Unity Point Health, Trinity, Bettendorf. Arrangements are pending at Bentley Funeral Home in Durant. Beverly Ann Wycon, age 82, of Davenport, Iowa, passed away Monday, February the 12th, 2024, at home. Cremation will be directed by Mississippi Valley Cremation and Direct Burial in Moline. Linda Ray Duke, age 80, of Moline, Illinois, passed away Saturday, February the 10th, 2024, at home. Arrangements are pending at Rafferty Funeral Home in Moline. Lester Lebo Jr., age 79, of Davenport, Iowa, passed away Monday, February the 12th at Clarissa C. Cook Hospice House, Bettendorf, Iowa. Cremation will be directed by Cremation Society of the Quad Cities. And Reverend Jack L. Hino, age 86, of Silvis, Illinois, passed away Monday, February the 12th, 2024, at New Perspective Assisted Living. Arrangements are pending at Esterdahl Mortuary and Cremation Limited in Moline. Patty? Thank you. I'm going to read letters to the editor. Inclusive people should host immigrants in their homes. This is written for us by John Christ of Rock Island. So our fair republic seems to have a problem with illegal migrants. A lot of sanctuary cities have had to do sanctuary work, and it doesn't appear to be sitting well with many of the residents of those cities. It also appears the current administration has no desire to do anything about shutting the people faucet off. 
Fear not, citizens, I have a plan. How about the government setting up a registry of individuals and families that are willing to take migrants into their homes? Those people and their families will have to feed, house, and be responsible for the migrants' whereabouts and actions. They'll be responsible for them as if they were their own children. That way, the migrants are not stuck in temporary accommodations, but they're with kind, inclusive, tolerant people who will vouch for them, house um, house them, drive them around, take care of medical expenses, and make sure they're taken care of. In addition, there could also be a box on every income tax form where a person could contribute to a fund for taking care of migrants, like the presidential campaign fund box that no one checks. This would allow kind, inclusive, tolerant people who don't have a lot of extra space at home to lead by example and give of their funds. Brilliant, eh? Gives the kind, inclusive, tolerant people a chance to show the xenophobic, racist types how it's done and cuts down the financial burden for the nation. Everyone wins. Again, that's John Christ of Rock Island. Davenport's race to mediocrity. The weak mayor of Davenport suggests to the strong council that we need to change the rules on how we handle our public meetings. Oh, by the way, staff just happen to have, for your reading pleasure, what other cities in Iowa do at their meetings. How long did that take? Who cares what other cities do? Do we have to fit in with their norms? Who says that their, what, their way is any better than our way? Congratulations! Davenport, you are not unique anymore, just one of the other cities in Iowa. Are the older persons tired of listening to their constituents? At least most of this council pays attention to the speakers. Are the older persons in such a hurry to get home that they can't spend an extra 20 minutes with the people? I don't understand why you got into politics and the mayor, too, if you have such thin skin. We can't say your name, your post, and everything said raises a point of order. Are you afraid of the people who elected you? The people have the right to tell you that you are screwing up and you need to hear it. So the sheep met and gave the weak mayor his big win to again keep the people of Davenport at bay and silent. The people are keeping track of your actions. You are a strong council. Show that you are strong. Don't be led by the mayor and staff. Written for us by Derek Cornett of Davenport. And the third one is, January 6th was a deadly attack on the Capitol. Written by Patricia Welch of Davenport. My friend called my attention to the letter from a Geneseo reader, February 2nd. We agreed that when we read... Donald Trump is an honorable man, we expected sarcasm, like Mark Anthony's speech in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar about Cassius. But no, he was serious. Just one example is the Capitol riot January 6th. People wandering the halls of Congress taking selfies while Trump is telling folks to go home hardly seemed an insurrection, he writes. I don't know what channel he was watching, but subsequent investigations found that there were as many as 120,000 people attending Trump's speech at the Ellipse. Some 30,000 marched to the Capitol, and more than 
10,000 entered, according to the Department of Accounting Office. There was a lot of video shot that day. A group called Sedition Hunters has identified 3,200 different individuals, of whom 1,265 have been arrested. Then there were five deaths from that day. One woman was shot trying to climb in the window of the house chamber, one died of a drug overdose, and three of natural causes, including one police officer. Four other officers later committed suicide. In addition, 174 police were injured. It was only after the mob had trashed the historic building at 4.17 p.m. EST that Trump finally put out a video telling the mob to go home. Tourists posting for pictures? I think not. And then again, that was Patricia Welch of Davenport. Today's editorial piece is entitled About News Awards, Caitlin Clark, and ACDC. It's written by Tom Martin, the executive editor of the Quad City Times. The Quad City Times newsroom won 11 awards in the Iowa Newspaper Association's annual contest Thursday. We ran a story already, so I won't rehash the awards here, but I did want to share this note from the contest judges about our breaking news coverage of the building collapse in downtown Davenport. The stories of survivors of the collapse were riveting and maddening in light of the stunning revelations that were uncovered concerning the building's condition prior to the collapse. These were stories you didn't want to stop reading. We live in a world where people have hundreds of thousands of choices of what to read, watch, or hear. I take it as a compliment when, journal when the journalism we do breaks through all the noise and reaches readers. And the kind of stories that pierce the noise are those about people, their challenges, and successes. It's been a little more than a year since I was hired as executive editor, and I feel lucky to have landed in this newsroom with its history of quality journalism and incredible journalists. And I joined a team that is excited to tell the Quad Cities stories. They don't need motivation. I'm proud of them. Our entertainment reporter, Gannon Hanavold, started an ambitious series Monday called Timeless Tickets. The concept is to find the most notable Quad City concert for each year since 1960. Along with information about the performance and performer, we'll include the ticket price and what else was happening in the Quad Cities on the day of the show. What were the day's headlines, what movies were showing, etc. This project has been in the works for some time. We'll do a decade at a time, releasing a new year every day. On Monday, we highlighted Johnny Cash's two performances in the Quad Cities in 1960. On Tuesday, we featured Bobby V's concert at the Colonel Ballroom in 1961. And today, Wednesday, we focused on country singer Patsy Cline's 1962 performance at Davenport's Masonic Temple with Loretta Lynn and Bluegrass Legends Flats and Scruggs. Another daily time... Uh, excuse me, Thursday, will feature the most notable show from 1964 and so on. When the 1960s are done, Gannon will take a breather, and then a couple weeks later, start the 1970s. 
1979, I saw ACDC twice in the Quad Cities, just before their lead singer died, and they released the iconic Back in Black album. Will one of those shows make the list? I don't get to vote. If you attended a notable concert and want to tell about it, send an email to Gannon at ghanevold, H-A-N-E-V-O-L-D, at qctimes.com. Iowa's Caitlin Clark is preparing to break the all-time women's college scoring mark on Thursday. She's seven points away from Kelsey Plum's 3,527 points and is expected to break the record Thursday against Michigan. We know Quad Cityans are fans of Clark and the Hawkeyes. What we'd like to know is who is going to the game Thursday at, at Iowa City. We'd like to talk to fans who are going, especially young athletes. If you know someone attending Thursday's game who would be willing to talk to a reporter, please email newsroom at qctimes.com. And again, that comes from executive editor of the Quad City Times, Tom Martin. Thank you, Steve. SPHL, that's the uh, hockey league, Quad City Storm. On the road again, and again, and again. Storm face top stretch of 10 straight road games, long bus rides, written for us by Tom Johnston of the QC Times. The Quad City Storm are in the midst of a unique portion of their schedule and have to be ready to handle what the road can throw at them. Beginning with last Saturday's 3-0 setback to Peoria in Bloomington, the Storm play 10 straight games on the road and will not entertain the home crowd at Vibrant Arena until March 8. That's 27 days without a home game. While on the road, QC faces back-to-back weekends with three games in three days after playing at Evansville on Wednesday. The Storm track to Florida for three this weekend in Pensacola. Next weekend, it's three games in Fayetteville. The road trip closes with a pair at the Ford Center in Evansville, the first weekend in March. Those are the things that you sort of sign up for. The grind of hopping on the road and spending time with your teammates at the rink and on the bus, said QC veteran Mike Moran. We're looking forward to it. After a schedule that was front-loaded with 23 of their uh, 23 of their first 28 home games already played, QC hosts just five more games in the regular season that ends on April 6th in Peoria. It is what it is, said QC coach Dave Sensisny of the very heavy travel schedule the next few months. The building has to make money with concerts that have been backed up since the COVID shutdown. It's just people available. It's just arena availability at the end of the day. The building has certain obligations they need to meet. It's not easy, but other teams have to go through it as well. Vibrant Arena has some major events coming up that have created those scheduling conflicts, especially on weekends when SPHL games are mainly scheduled. This weekend, the Professional Championship Bull Riders and Barrel Racers event takes over the building on Saturday and Sunday. A Brian's, Brian Adam concert scheduled for Friday the 23rd was canceled. In March, the arena takes a week to host the Missouri Valley Conference Women's Basketball Tournament and one weekend in is occupied by the Quad City Steamwheelers home opener on March 22nd and a one night of Queen 
concert on March 23rd. Sosinski and the players are putting a positive spin on the extended road trip. It'll be good for us to bond a little bit more with some new faces, he said. Moran agrees. Anytime you can get on the road, it's super nice bonding for us. We spend a ton of time together on the road. It helps us get closer as a team off the ice, and that helps you be better on the ice. But it also comes with its challenges, such as hotels, laundry, and lots of restaurant food. Zosinski said that the team was thinking about staying on the road all 16 days once the trip commences to Florida. It would actually be cheaper for us to do that, he said, noting the team leadership opted against that approach. That does alleviate some potential issues, especially for players who try to limit how much they eat out. Meal prep is a huge thing, said Cole Golka, who is tied with Leif Matson for the team lead in goals with 16. They give us pretty good money on the road, but you have to take care of your body. You have to find ways to get good quality sleep and make being on the road as comfortable as possible. Galga said that he limits his purchase meals when on the road. Personally for me, I meal prep everything and bring a big cooler on the bus, he said. I cook all my meals. That's just what I do to try to eat good food when we're on the road. For three games on the road, I'll cook three pre-game meals, three post-game meals, and then a couple for in-between extras. He admits that there are usually good options for food on the road, and I might go out with the guys one night for a dinner or something. Still battling for a playoff spot that goes to the top eight teams um, after the 56-game schedule is complete, the next few weeks will go a long way in determining the sixth-place Storm's fate. Dealing with life on the road during extended stretches is just part of the grind. We've all been through it, said Golka. We guys that have done that, we'll try to help the younger guys with whatever they need. The coach feels as if this next month away from home could be good for his club. You don't have to put on a show when you're on the road and just play basic hockey, he said. We're obviously still fighting for the playoffs. And, as Golka said, it's life on the road and you have to do what you do. Winning games being the top priority. Really looking forward to that road trip, said Moran. It will be a lot of fun. Here's what's on television today in the sports world at 5.30 p.m. College men's basketball on the Big Ten Network. It's Michigan State at Penn State. 6 p.m. on the ACC Network is Georgia Tech at Notre Dame. CBS Sports Network, 6 p.m. Xavier at Seton Hall. ESPN2 at 6 p.m. has Miami at Clemson. And ESPNU at 6 p.m. has Tulsa at South Florida. 7.30 p.m. on the Big Ten Network, it's Iowa at Maryland. And on the SEC Network at 7.30 p.m., it's South Carolina at Auburn. At 8 p.m. on CBS Sports Network, UConn at DePaul. ESPN2 has Tennessee at Arkansas at 8 p.m. And ESPNU has Western Carolina at Samford at 8 p.m. Pac-12 Network has Oregon State at Arizona State at 8 p.m. 9 p.m. FS1 has Utah State at Wyoming. And 10 p.m. CBS Sports Network has UNLV at Fresno State. 
Women's college basketball, 6 p.m. on Peacock. It's Nebraska at Ohio State. And at 7 p.m., it's Indiana at Wisconsin on Peacock. I bet you that's a mistake because I think it takes a lot longer than an hour to play a women's college basketball game. So that's probably more like 8 p.m. Indiana at Wisconsin on Peacock. Uh, NBA, 6.40 p.m. on ESPN and the NBC Chicago Sports Network. It's Chicago Bulls at the Cleveland Cavaliers. And on ESPN at 9.05, it's the L.A. Clippers at the Golden State Warriors. In the National Hockey League on TNT and True TV, you can see Florida at Pittsburgh. And one final note here, IHSAA Wrestling Televised. Semifinal action of the Iowa High School Athletic Association Boys Wrestling State Tournament will be televised live on Friday. Mediacom will carry the semifinal matches from Wells Fargo Arena in Des Moines on its local access channel, MC22. Class 2A action begins at 9 a.m., followed by Class 3A at 2 p.m. and the 1A semis at 6 p.m. Saturday's state championship round will be aired live on the IHSSN television network with a live stream available on IHSSN.com. A replay of the finals will be on MC22 on Sunday at 5 p.m. And let's read... Oh, jeez. Sorry. I'll read this article. Iowa Ace Brecht putting draft talk on the back burner. It's written by Dave Selvig of the Quad City Times, and Dateline is Iowa City. Brody Breck's 104-mile-per-hour fastball is likely to make him a lot of money in the near future. However, the Iowa Flamethrower's first love was football. Giving up playing wide receiver for the Hawkeyes was difficult for the Ankeny product, but a decision he ultimately felt he had to make. I loved football, I still do, but there just came a time where I had to make a decision, the six foot four, two hundred and twenty-five pound captain of the Iowa baseball team said Tuesday. You weigh a lot of different factors. It wasn't an easy decision, but I think it was the right one. Major League Baseball talent evaluators agree. Brecht is universally regarded as a likely first round pick in July's draft. The hard-throwing right-hander racked up 109 strikeouts in 77 innings last season. Another campaign along those lines, combined with reducing his walks, will determine just how high Brecht can climb draft boards. Brecht, also an all-Big Ten academic honoree, hears the talk but puts little stock in it. It's all projection and all that stuff's way out in the future. I'm... All I'm worried about is Friday and just taking it one day at a time. Brecht will get the ball in the Hawkeye season opener Friday against Seton Hall at the Shipyard Tournament in Charleston, South Carolina. Iowa also faces Ball State on Saturday and Lehigh on Sunday. Friday's game starts at 4 p.m. The Hawkeyes open the season with considerable buzz. They're ranked 20th in the preseason poll and have a trio of starting pitchers considered prime draft prospects. All three are from Iowa, Brecht, along with Marcus Morgan and lefty Cade Obermuller. 
both from Iowa City, are being hyped as one of the top starting staffs in college baseball. It starts with Brecht, who physically looks like a college football player, but a full year of focusing on baseball has made a major difference, his head coach said. Brody's a completely different player than he's been in the last two years, Rick Heller said. The year playing baseball has really paid dividends. He's really smoothed things out. He's much better with all of his pitches. Heller, a former college baseball and football player himself, was all for Breck's two sport aspirations. Uh, Find the end of this article. Here we go. His first love was football, and he never kept us in the dark on that. I know I, it could have worked out, but he just couldn't stay healthy. He had to make a decision that was best for his future. I would have loved to see him excel at both because I knew he was capable of it, and he's gifted athletically. Uh, Brecht, Morgan, and Obermuller have been built up to throw 90 pitches going into the season. Hawkeyes tied a school record with 44 wins last season. The Iowa advanced to the NCAA regionals, but Brecht said the bar is much higher this time around, although they're not looking too far ahead. Everyone wants to be a national champs, right? A lot of teams say that, but not really believe it. We truly believe we can do that at the end of the year, but our focus right now is one day at a time and one game at a time. We can get better every day. That brings us to the end of the Quad City Times. I'm Patty Daniels. You can listen to Iris programs on any computer or smart device anytime at iowaradioreading.org. Thank you for listening to Iris, the Iowa's first and only radio reading service.